smoke cigarettes, cancer in the chest, like cardiac arrest. I've been feeling stressed, trying to find ways to impress her, showing her that I love her, trying to show her her effort. Gotta keep it together. I don't wanna be lonely no more. I don't wanna be lonely no more. She picks my heart off What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wings and Gallery Podcast. Fernando and Damo back in the show, and today. Chase Hughes, friend of the podcast, has returned from NBC Sports Washington. Chase, what's going on, mate? Not much. Uh, excited for Summer League and uh, great to be back on with you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on. We don't take it lightly, especially considering this is probably the, the busiest time of the year for you. So let's not waste any time and let's just sort of get into it. So Monte Morris uh, was a name that has been thrown around on Wizards Twitter for a long time. Obviously, he, he knows what Sun, West Sunsell Jr. because he played for him in Denver. Same thing with Will Barton. So was that sort of one of the, the bigger factors in getting this deal done? Or did they really just they really just like what those two guys bring to the table? We know that they've been interested in Will Barton for a long time. But do you think that it made sense with the with the connections to go ahead and make a deal with Denver to make this happen? Yeah, I definitely think that was part of it. Um, I think going after Monte Morris was probably a product of just how the market and the offseason developed. Like when the pre-draft process began, uh, you know, let's say right after the NCAA tournament, it looked like maybe Dyson Daniels would be there at 10 uh, in the draft or maybe Ty Ty Washington would be a good option there. And then, of course, Dyson Daniels uh, had as much momentum really as anyone uh, in that pre-draft process was out of their range. Ty Ty Washington, it was kind of the opposite. So I don't think a point guard really made sense at 10. And then you look at the free agent market and some of these guys just raised their value so much throughout the postseason, like Tyus Jones and Jalen Brunson. And um, obviously they ended up si- signing for a good amount of money, more than the Wizards could afford on their mid-level exception. And you also look at some of the point guards out there that they could have maybe aimed a little higher for with trades, like, Malcolm Brogdon or, you know, say Mike Conley Jr., who hasn't been dealt, but is 34 and makes quite a bit of money and Brogdon makes quite a bit of money. So I think they kind of took a pragmatic approach and went for a guy, Monte Morris, that um, fills that need is at the starting point guard position, bring some shooting and we'll see maybe also bring some defense. But I think we'll protect the ball and run the offense competently. And that's what they were looking for in that position. So for just kind of going to to the whole point guard position here and going back to Sadoransky, what was the thought process when they originally brought him in? Was this a a situation where Tommy just wanted to bring someone in he knew just to fill out for the rest of the season? Were there intentions of maybe trying to bring him back for another year or two? What was the original thought process with that whole thing? I think familiarity had a lot to do with it. I mean, that has been kind of a, a trend for the Wizards over the years, right? They brought back Trevor Ariza, um, they brought back Ramon Sessions. They brought back Ish Smith uh, and they brought back uh, Thomas Sadoransky. So I think it was kind of like a lost season and they saw him as someone who could uh, play some minutes at point guard, maybe improve their defense a little bit, maybe uh, kind of give them the pass first approach that they um, didn't feel like they had earlier in the season. And maybe that could better help them evaluate other options on their roster and, um, you know, see some guys um, with a point guard who could set them up for a high percentage shot. So I think that's what it was all about. And then Thomas Sadoransky, I got the sense talking to him when he came back that, um, you know, he, he had kind of become uh, he was in a different stage in his life than than when he was here last. And he had two kids. I think him going to Europe was 
um, partly just a family decision. And also, you know, being from the Czech Republic, um, I don't know if this factored in, but he talked a lot about how like when he wasn't on the court playing basketball, basically all he was thinking about what was going on in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. I think that weighed heavily on him. So I think going back to Europe was uh, probably a family move because I think he played well enough down the stretch where if he really, really wanted to, he probably could have you know, gotten another shot in the NBA. And then before I kick it over to Damo here, just one quick question in regards to the trade. Do you envision Will Barton at this point starting at the three, given that they went small with KCP there last season? Or do you think that maybe there's still another move to come and Barton will go to the bench? Um, that's a great question. I think right now I have him penciled in as the, the three because he, while isn't probably quite as good as Contavious Caldwell-Pope, could probably play the same role and – as much change as there was on the roster last year, Wes Unsell Jr. never wavered from having KCP in that spot. Um, and, you know, the familiarity with Wes Unsell Jr., that's probably going to help Will Barton's cause. What's interesting, though, is, uh, well, first of all, they've got some young players that we'll have to see what they look like in training camp. Um, you know, Denny Avdia could come back better. Rui, Rui could come back better. Corey Kispert could come back better. Maybe they would factor in. Um, but right now, if you do have Barton in the starting lineup, your starting five actually is pretty decent in terms of three-point shooting. That was obviously a major weakness for the Wizards last year, um, but it would be kind of unbalanced in that the shooters would be in the starting lineup and the quote-unquote defenders would be in the second unit. Like, um, I, I think if you kind of work out what their bench would look like right now, I, there's not a whole lot of shooting, but there's um, probably more defense than there is in the starting lineup and uh, kind of vice versa with the starters. Dom, I'll kick it over to you now if you got anything. Yeah, I, I, that was that was kind of my what I was kind of getting ready to get at as far as the Will Barton uh, situation. It, it seems like they have, I guess, a piggyback off of that. They have like eleven guys that I feel like need time this year. Um, you know, from Beal all the way down to probably Corey Kisper, Johnny Davis, and I'm just curious to your thoughts on. You know, what do they have any intention on addressing some of this overlap or is it just going to be a, a, a interesting camp battle um, come training camp? My guess is it'll be the latter. I mean, I'm going off um, what we saw last offseason. Remember, they made the trade Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. They brought in all these guys. They flipped that pick for two players, essentially. And all of us were like, well, I wonder if they're going to make a consolidation trade or um, you know, maybe the one of those guys, Kuzma, Harrell, or KCP will end up getting traded, and they just never made those moves, right? Uh, it, and Tommy Shepard talked about, uh, you know, going into training camp, how he wanted to see those guys play together. And I would imagine that's going to be the way they frame things coming out of this. Uh, the next time we talk to Tommy, you know, he'll probably point to the fact that Chris Porzingis was acquired after Bradley Beal went down due to injury in February, and that. Uh, they haven't seen those guys play together. They haven't seen those guys play with Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma and Porzingis only played six games together last year. So I think they probably view things uh, in terms of they started remaking the roster as if it was the offseason at the trade deadline. And I would imagine they're going to be patient as they usually are in seeing what they have first before trying to make any subsequent moves. That's my guess at this point. Um, if they did make a trade like that, it would be different uh it would kind of be operating differently from what they've done in the past so i'm going to kind of go off what they've done in the past and assume that they they won't make one of those types of deals chase but before we get into the free agency moves just going back to the draft real quick 
What was your analysis of Johnny Davis when you were looking at his tape, looking at the numbers? And then was this the guy that the Wizards had hoped was going to fall to 10 all along? Or was there maybe someone taken earlier that they were hoping was going to fall? How did that play out for them on draft night? Well, Johnny Davis, in watching film of him, he immediately stood out as someone that they like, uh, the type of player that they like. Like, I think he's cut from the same cloth as Rui Kispert and uh, I'm sorry, Rui Hachimura and Corey Kispert, both Gonzaga players, obviously. Um, I, I, you know, high floor, high character, high basketball IQ, maybe doesn't have the measurables or, you know, the, the length or the explosive athleticism that would um, necessarily represent a, a lot of potential long-term, but the floor is pretty high. And that's just kind of been their MO. I thought maybe they would deviate from that this offseason and go with somebody who was more of a high risk, high reward type player. Um, but, you know, the, he gives them that he, he's the type of player that they like. And he does check off a few boxes in terms of their needs because uh, he's known for his defense on the perimeter. Uh, he can create his own shot off the dribble and, um, uh, and he plays guard and they had a lot of openings at guard. Um, it'll be interesting to see how some of the guys pick behind him. Fair. Uh, I think uh, Jalen Williams, who I know Damo likes a lot, the fact that he moved all the way up the draft board and was picked 12th by, of all teams, the Oklahoma City Thunder, that's going to be fascinating to revisit five years from now because he's a pretty similar player, I guess, kind of a combo guard uh, to Johnny Davis. And now he's picked by one of the best player development programs in the league. And then um, I liked A.J. Griffin. Uh, coming out of the draft because of his shooting. I think he had more upside than people gave him credit for. But I think basically it came down to like there was no point guards on the board. Uh, they had two major needs, defense and three-point shooting. Um, there wasn't necessarily someone who was obviously going to to fill both of those needs. So they opted for defense over the three-point shooting because obviously Johnny Davis has got a lot of work to do on his three-point shot. 30% shooter from three. I think that's probably going to uh, make it difficult for him to find minutes early. Um, but we'll see. I mean, if he's the defender that people think he can be, then um, certainly Wes Unsell Jr. will will find a way to get him out there. Uh, any quick thoughts on Nzosa? Um, Yeah, I like him. You know, I, it was interesting way back last summer when we were first like looking at prospects um, for this year's draft. He was rated as a first round pick. And, I, the, uh, you know, the athletic potential is pretty obvious when you watch him, especially when he's running the floor baseline to baseline he's very fast for his size. He's got a big wingspan. Um, he can block shots. Um, the only, you know, the thing is last year, he just had a pretty bad season uh, over in Europe. So I think he's, if you're picking late in the second round, that's what I think you should go for is a guy who's sort of a lottery ticket, at least has the athletic potential to make you look really smart someday. Um, they've kind of gone in the other direction in the second round, uh, you know, with Admiral Schofield and Cassius Winston, who are like uh, evidently guys that were high floors, had high floors and maybe would be able to contribute right away. And that didn't happen. So uh, at least with this guy and I guess Isaiah Todd could be in that conversation as well. They picked two players that who knows, we'll see two, three years from now. Um, you know, maybe maybe the Wizards find something. Yeah, and Damo knows, and Zosa was a guy that I liked with that second-round pick. Even though he's not going to come over right away, I think it would have been kind of useless to have another second-round pick uh, taking up another roster spot anyway. I mean, if that was the case right now, we wouldn't have any available roster spots, I think. Uh, Damo, any quick thoughts on J.D. or Zosa before we go to free agency? No, no, I, th- I like him. I, I remember you brought him to my attention. I watched him. He, he reminded me of Chris Boucher out of, out of Toronto. Right, just that long, lanky shot. That's block. good comp, yeah. Yeah, can shoot three a little bit. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I like him. I think I think that's a good that's a that's the type of profile player you want to draft and stash. Okay. Bradley Beal. So the, there really isn't much controversy to this. I, I guess I'm wondering, Chase, now that they have him on the books long term, what is the urgency inside the building for them to put together a winner? I mean, is this something where they say they want to win now, and as long as they kind of remain average, they're okay. Are, are they serious about trying to improve at this point? Or just what's the what's the mindset at this point in time? Just from this move, because you would think you wouldn't keep him if you weren't serious about winning. But it just seems like Tommy hasn't really. I mean, outside of Porzingis, it just seems like every other thing we do, it's like, yeah, we may or may not get better, and if we do, it's it's not a needle mover. So I'm just wondering what their thought process is with all this. Yeah, I mean, I think so far, like just big picture, I'd say that they've they've just stuck to their plan. You know, I think it's the same plan that they set in 2019 when Tommy Shepard took over the front office. And that is uh, keep their draft picks as as much as they possibly can. Obviously, they had to attach one to John Wall to get rid of that contract and hope that those young players ascend and build around Bradley Beal. And, um, you know, they've they've pulled off some trades that I think uh, had a little bit of risk to them, you know, you know, taking in Russell Westbrook and then trading him to the Lakers and the Porzingis deal. Like there has been some outside the box thinking, but I agree. You're kind of wondering, will this trade um, add some extra urgency to be like, okay, you got this guy entering his age 29 season. You have a star. He's in his prime. He's not going to be in his prime forever. Is that going to naturally sort of push them towards uh, taking bigger risks, uh, you know, particularly in the trade market? I would expect that's going to come at some point, um, but it hasn't so far. But again, I would go back to the fact that they have not seen Beal and Porzingis play together. So I'd, they're they're really patient, you know, their front office. They're, you can see it with their draft picks um, by keeping the first round picks. You can see it with um, a lot of the moves that they make. And I, I think what they'll do is they'll probably, you know, open the season with a roster that looks very much like the one that they have right now and then and then go from there. And I think Beal and Porzingis, um, you know, it's an interesting offensive combo. I think defense and shooting are still going to be question marks for the team, but um, it is a pretty decent inside-outside combo as long as Kristaps Porzingis stays healthy, but that's obviously the big if there. So at this point, I think they're going to probably stay the course, and you just wonder if uh, external factors will force them into, you know, taking a, a bigger risk with a trade sometime down the road. Do you know the um, we don't have to spend the, really much any time on this? Um, Anthony Gill, really solid player. I don't think I'd have a problem if he had to be in the rotation for much of the season. Um, but do, do you know the numbers on his contract? I know it's a two year, but I would imagine it's like it probably has to be around what, like like two million or something you would think. Right. Yeah, that's where I, I haven't heard them specifically, but I think it's around there. Um, yeah. And as far as him being a rotation player, I mean, he showed me more last year than he did the season before. I think it was, uh, interesting, uh, how much he improved his rookie year, because when he first got out there, it didn't look like, um, you know, he really belonged in the NBA. And then by the end of the season, he looked pretty good. And then last year he shot fairly efficiently. Um, actually, if you look at like defensive field goal percentage, he, he was a pretty decent defender. He held opponents to a considerably lower percentage than they shot on average for the over the course of the season. So um, I think it's probably he's more of just kind of like a locker room culture guy. But um, as we saw last year, if they need to rely on him, they can. Dom, I want to let you start with this one just because you've brought him up for a long time, but 
we did bring in Delon Wright. So what's yes, uh, what? What's your what was your thoughts when they brought him in? Do you like him at that money? Do you do you think that it's fair? And what kind of role do you see him playing for us now that we also have Morris? Yeah, I think I mean the money is fine. I mean he's a, I mean the event stats really love Delon Wright. I mean that's that's kind of how he popped out to me. Like for his career, he's one of the he has one of the best steal rates in the league. I think last year he was one of like. 12 players to have a steal rate of 3% or better. Um, like he's, he's what you need. He's exactly what you need right behind a, like a Monte Morris who's on a smaller side of, of starting. He's going to be on the smaller side of starting point guards. Um, he's a decent enough shooter. He's, he's long. He has a good assist to turnover ratio. He's just, he's kind of like, to me, he's kind of like Sato, but a little bit better uh, defensively and shooting. Um, he's not going to wow you. He's not going to, you know, put up 20 point, 30 point nights, but I think you could do a lot worse than DeLon Wright as, as a backup point guard. Chase, what are your thoughts on Wright? Yeah, I think those are all good points. I mean, he's, he averages like over two assists per 36 minutes, um, uh, about a league average shooter from three, but league average is better than a lot of players on the wizards roster. And I like the fact that he's six foot five. I think, um, you know, in lineups where uh, particularly where you have Bradley Beal as a primary ball handler. I mean, we saw Tommy Shepard or we heard him say just the other day that they they're not afraid to play him at point guard. Well, DeLon Wright would be a great uh, teammate in the backcourt with Bradley Beal because he's defensive focused and he can stretch the floor a little bit. And it's interesting because last year, you know, he's he's bounced around the league, DeLon Wright. Um, last year, his offensive numbers were down quite a bit. I think he only averaged like four points a game, but just going back like two, three years, there's more offensive upside than, you know, his numbers last year would suggest. Um, he's in his best years, giving you about like 11, 12 points a game, like four assists and four rebounds in addition to, you know, the steals and, and decent shooting. So, um, there's definitely potential there for him to be a, a really good defender, I think in a backup role. And um, maybe offer more than that if the Wizards need him to. I'll always remember from DeLon Wright when we had that uh, that series against them the last time. <laughs> and I was arguing with the Raptors fan and I'm like, OK, that was fluke. He's literally never doing that again. And then he did it again, like either the next game or the, the game after. So he had a um, big time series. Yeah, I'll, I'll always remember that about DeLon Wright. Uh, Chase, the, the biggest gripe right now with the Wizards roster is it seems they have a little bit of a log jam at the four. So do you is that something that you envision them fixing at some point? We know that OG Ananobi is available um, for for kicks and giggles. We know that Kevin Durant has requested a trade. How do you see them fixing that position at this point? Well, going off how Tommy Shepard in the front office have operated, I, I, I would imagine they see that situation a little bit differently than the fans and, and a lot of us in the media do. I don't think they see it as much of a log jam. Tommy Shepard was asked about that uh, not long ago, and he kind of dismissed the idea of it being a log jam. And I think what they see is maybe a little more versatility for those players um, than a lot of us give them credit for. You know, I think they think that they can swing over to other positions. Maybe Rui and Kuzma, for instance, could play some at the five and Denny some at the three. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, making a trade to kind of solve that log jam, I mean, I think it's something that they should explore with Kyle Kuzma and Rui Hachimura having only one year left on their contracts. I think, you know, the, there's an opportunity there for some foresight 
and some forward thinking, because if you're not going to pay either of those guys or you're not going to pay both of them, um, then you might as well sell high right now. Right. I mean, I think we can all see that Kyle Kuzma's salary is probably going to close to double if he continues to play the way he has. Um, Rui Hachimura uh, is going to make a lot more money than he's making on his rookie deal. So um, those would be the two guys I would look at if, if I wanted to solve that log jam with the trade, but um, going off their history and going off of Tommy Shepard's comments. Um, my expectation is that they'll run it back with those guys. And also I think, you know, they really want to create a deep roster and we saw how the depth kind of worked in their favor at the beginning of last season. We saw how it worked against their favor after that. Mm-hmm. And some players kind of blame that for the issues that they had, but they really believe in trying to build the deepest roster possible. So I think they don't see depth as a problem, but rather a solution. Tommy, you got anything? Yeah, I was just going to, just going to say, I, I would hope, you know, I feel like the, the Trez personality, um, I know Dinwi, Dinwiddie can be uh, a, a little different. Um, I guess this is the best word I could use for him. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping the depth, the, the, the personalities of the depth we have now works a little bit better than what we had in last year um, where it became, became an issue. But I'm, I'm interested to see what comes out of this training camp uh at that at the power forward and the small forward spots who kind of you know separates themselves as as the guy because I just it's just hard for me to envision a scenario where Kuzma, Denny, and Rui are all getting, you know, 24, 25 plus minutes a night. That said, they talked a lot about how they liked that trio you know Kuzma said it himself I think he brought it up before anyone else did that he liked playing with those guys because their defensive switchability so we'll yeah. see I think you make good points there but um and, and as far as the uh the depth and the personalities meshing um some comments that stood out to me at the end of the season from both Tommy and Wes were about how they wanted more continuity and they thought that the lack of continuity was a problem for them on defense and sort of a trend for Tommy Shepard so far in the three years that going into the fourth year that he's been um, in charge of the front office is a ton of roster turnover. Like last year, they set a franchise record with 29 players. Now, a lot of that had to do with the hardship exemption exemption deals and COVID has had an effect on this, but they're regularly suiting up well over 20 players a season. And not that long ago, they would only have like maybe 17 or 18 players a season. So I think maybe they're favoring continuity moving forward and they feel like they fixed a little bit of that at the trade deadline. And now they're bringing in some guys that have histories with Wes Huncell Jr. So I think continuity and team chemistry have been sort of a, a, a through line through a lot of these moves that they've made. All right, Chase, we got a few questions for you. Um, First one from Breeze Dalla. Uh, how do you feel about the roster now? I could see us as a six or seven seed team if Brooklyn breaks up, sort of. So I guess, like, how do you see the team right now in, in, in terms of the Eastern Conference? I agree with that. I think they have a chance to be a pretty decent team, a, a playoff team. Um, I always note in these conversations that the East is much harder th- to navigate than it was just a few years ago. Um, but I think that's probably a fair expectation for them. I think a, a lower playoff seed. And if somehow Kristaps Porzingis stayed healthy for 
you know, the majority of 82 games and Bradley Beal goes back to the guy he was two years ago. And Kyle Kuzma is the player that they saw in the second half of his season this past year, as opposed to the first half of the season. And, you know, maybe some collection of the young players make leaps, not even significant ones, then, you know, maybe you could move up into the middle seeds of the Eastern Conference. But I think a lower playoff seed is a, a, a definitely a solid expectation at this point. Uh, easy does it 202. He asked a few ones here. We'll go over the one we didn't necessarily touch. Chase, are the Wizards interested in Kevin Durant? <laughs> um, I would expect they are interested. I mean, we've heard that more than half the league has checked in. We know they were interested last time. I don't think they're going to publicize that interest. And I don't know if they would have uh, the assets to pull off such a trade when you consider that Brooklyn could probably get a young star plus picks from another team. The Wizards, of course, have a lot of their first round picks tied up in the John Wall, Russell Westbrook deal, but also they don't have a young star to offer. Like, I think the best player that they could part with would either be Kyle Kuzma or Kristaps Porzingis. But if you're Brooklyn and all things are equal and you can actually get one of these trade packages that we're talking about, um, then, you know, Toronto could offer you more between um, some collection of like Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam. Ananobi and draft picks. I, I obviously I don't think they'd get all three of those guys, but maybe they get two of them. Or, you know, the Blazers with Anthony Simons or uh the Suns with Michael Bridges. Uh these teams out there that have been linked to the to the to Durant in these trades just have better young players to offer than the Wizards do. So I think that would hold them back. But I think it, if somehow Kevin Durant were to change his mind and say, I want to go to Washington, and Brooklyn felt like they had to send him there. Um, that would probably be the, the, the only way for it to happen. Cause I think if, if Brooklyn's going out there and they're getting the best uh, return as much as I could make the case for the wizards having a pretty decent um, group of, of trade assets. I don't know if they can compete with teams like that. DMV underscore CE. What is the biggest factor in the wizards not being a desirable team for stars slash free agents in general? I think it's the lack of, um, a history of winning. I think that's it. I mean, the city I, I think is, is obviously it, it doesn't have the warm weather or um, some of the uh, selling points of like an LA or Miami, but it's not far from the top of the list in terms of probably best cities in the NBA to live in if you're a young NBA player. So I, I don't think that's the problem. I don't think it's necessarily like their branding or their culture or anything like that. I think it's just that they haven't won anything. And these teams that we've seen uh, that were in a similar boat that all of a sudden were able to attract free agents, um, they had to kind of build a winning culture first. And the teams I'd point to, of course, are like the Clippers and the Brooklyn Nets and the Golden State Warriors uh, to a, maybe a lesser degree. Um, they were just like the Wizards were for a long time. They weren't great teams, but then they started winning. And I think it was after that, that they started attracting players to come play for them. So I think, I think it's about having to win and, and, you know, developing young talent. I think if you draft well and all of a sudden, you know, a star is playing against your team the previous year and they're like, man, this team's got uh, several guys who could be stars. I want to go join that. I think that's how it happens. Um, you know, Chris Paul, for instance, he went, he got, he was interested in being traded to the Suns because he saw what Devin Booker and Bridges and those guys uh, did in the bubble and said, okay, that's a team on the rise. I, I think the Wizards have to be a team on the rise first before they can attract players to come play here. 
is Bradley Beal just like not friendly enough with anyone to like get them to force a trade here? Like it has the when this has moved over to, to Beal's team since that time, has there never been a star that Beal's been hell bent on getting here or a star that's like just really wanted to play with Bradley Beal? Has that never been a thing, I guess? I don't think it's been a thing, but I don't think it's been for a lack of effort on his behalf. Um, you know, it's pretty often over the years that he and John Wall were asked about recruiting free agents. And John Wall would always say that he wouldn't do it. He was like, yeah, it's not my job. And, um, you know, if a player wants to play here, they'll play here. Now, he ended up helping recruit uh, Dwight Howard to come here. He made the call for that. But Bradley Beal's been the opposite. He's openly talked about recruiting players to come to Washington. I remember at uh, All-Star Weekend, I think it was in Charlotte, he talked about it. I think he talked about it uh, when he was playing briefly for Team USA. Um, it just hasn't happened. The time, you know, the stars haven't aligned. The timing hasn't been right. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's just been something that the Wizards haven't been able to break through with over the years. And and that has kind of helped crystallize in my mind that like building through the draft is so important. Like I remember um, Sam Presti, I think last summer said that like you know, drafting and developing players is the lifeblood of a team like the Oklahoma city thunder, because the market that they're in and to a similar extent, it's the same thing for the wizards, like free agency, you just can't count on it. Like trades are more in your control, but they um, they're also tough to pull off. Like you have to draft good players or else you're not going to be a good team. If you're a, a franchise like the wizards, I think it's, it's very similar to the thunder, even though they're not in a small market. Damo, anything you wanted to ask chase or anything you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, I think, I, I think, uh, well, no, I did have this question. Um, just as far as it seems like the roster may be kind of set as it is at this point. Um, I just had a question regarding just like their plan of attack offensively. Um, cause I know, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, you had Sato running point guard and they were kind of running the offense through, through KP inside out. I was just kind of curious, um, do you envision a scenario where uh, the offense is kind of ran through Kyle Kuzma um, as kind of like a point forward? I know he kind of he, he put that on his Instagram uh, jokingly uh, earlier in the year. But I, I wonder if that if that's actually uh, something you could see them uh, trying to do. I think to an extent. Yeah. I mean, I think with Monte Morris. And Will Barton, they got two guys that um, it's an underrated selling point for them. Uh, they're passing. Uh, Monte Morris isn't going to average 10 assists a game, but he's good at protecting the ball. He's got one of the best assist to turnover ratios in the league. And Will Barton, for his position, is a good passer. He gets a lot of assists. I tweeted this earlier today that he had more assists than any player on the Wizards roster last year. And I don't think that uh, that stood out to a lot of people when they first traded for Will Barton. So I think it's going to be sort of an equal opportunity offense where they don't have a high usage point guard where everything runs through them. I think things are going to run through a lot of players uh, who are on the floor. Um, you know, I think we saw it a little bit with Kyle Kuzma and Chris Porzingis last year, the, the two man game between them at, at the four and the five, both guys can shoot threes. Both guys can pass a little bit um, Kuzma in particular. So I think there's going to be some of that. I think there was some experimenting going on with West Sunsell Jr. last year and the brief time those guys were on the floor together. And I would expect to see a lot more of that going forward. And also, of course, Bradley Beal, who had a career high in assists last year, um, but also has had some trouble with turnovers, of course. And 
Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be a, a pretty equal share. And I think they're moving away from, you know, the days of John Wall and Russell Westbrook kind of dominating the offense running point. All right. Well, I think it's going to go ahead and do it for us today. Uh, thanks, Chase, for coming on and chatting with us again. We don't take it lightly and appreciate you taking the time as always. Absolutely. Uh, for those of you that aren't subscribed, make sure that you are. If you don't have a link, just click on the link in my bio. Uh, rate us five stars. Leave us comments. If you have any questions, concerns, my DMs are open. I'd like to listen. It's a love letter that I wrote. She keep me up when I'm feeling low. She's my overdose. Those being heartbroken is so last year. Having breakdowns and she wiping my tears. I've been feeling fine ever since she pinned my another word.